0: Everyone, welcome to Refuge Fellowship again. We're going to be in God's Word, so if you got a Bible, please open them up. We're going to be back in John today. But before we get to John, I have to say something. Uh There's quite a few that are here today that were here last week. Maybe some of you joined online or for those that joined online. I first want to begin today's service or my portion of it by thanking you for your grace last week, as I did misspeak as I was describing Nicodemus. And I want to thank you for your grace. I take the privilege of teaching God's Word very, very serious. It is truly a privilege. And uh, I just want to make sure that everyone understands what I did misspeak last week. Just to clarify really quick, I want to be sure that everyone knows Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was not a Sadducee. So Sadducees do not believe in the supernatural. Pharisees do. So I want to make sure and clarify that. I do take it very, very serious. Um, again, the Pharisees, Nicodemus did indeed believe in the supernatural. You know, each week I record the sermon. We record it back there. And then uh, what we do is we listen to it afterwards. And I listen to it for lots of different reasons. One of the foremost and most important to me is to make sure if I misspeak in any way to clarify and fix that. Not just on the recording, but before you guys. And then we take it to a podcast, and we post it on a podcast. There's my plug for that. We have a podcast. If you uh want to subscribe to that, it would be great. Even if you're here, it's great if you subscribe because it gets it out to more people. Uh It's Refuge Fellowship, Chiang Mai. It's really easy to find. It's available on our website, and it's on an Apple podcast. It's, I mean, it's out there in every which way, and we want to thank Laura. She's the one that now has taken over that job. So thank her for that. Again, so I did listen to that message and I saw that I had misspoke. And so if you ever, I ask you, I beg you, please, if you ever hear something that maybe I misspoke or you have questions or you don't even, maybe you just don't quite understand, ask me afterwards, talk to me. Um, You know, just let me know. Maybe something's just not clear. Maybe I did misspeak. Just let me know. I want to turn real quick to Acts, speaking of this, before we get going. I think this is really important. Acts chapter 17. Verse 10 and 12. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Please read this and follow this example. Search the scriptures out. Be like these Bereans. They listened eagerly to the message that Paul was teaching. They listened very eagerly. But then they were also in the word daily, ensuring that what had been taught was truthfully from God's word. So I encourage you be like a Berean, search the Scriptures, make sure that the message that you're hearing here and anywhere else is biblical. And again, if you ever have any concerns, come to me, ask me. You know, right after the service, say, "Hey, what was this?" and let's let's take a look. Um, It could be it could be so many things. Maybe I just misspoke a name. Maybe it could be so many things. But let's clarify that. Let's make sure no one ever um, is anything's ever misunderstood. So looking back last week to John, take us right back there. John chapter 3, verses, we were in chapter 3, 1 through 21. We remember that Jesus had been performing miracles during the Passover. And that Nicodemus then, a religious leader came, he sought Jesus out, he was seeking the truth. Who are you? He was, he wanted to know. And Jesus what, said to him, I says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus, he didn't understand, did he? He didn't quite grasp what was being said. So Jesus then, in the story, continued to explain that any person to enter the kingdom of God must be spiritually reborn. In this conversation, it continued, and Jesus explained then to Nicodemus and to all of us how this spiritual rebirth takes place. Look at John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His own one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We saw that this is how. But then it continued. We read why. Look at verse 17. Jesus sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. Then we see the result of this in verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, but anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. There is only one way to be saved from our sins. And the Scripture is very, very clear. To have eternal life in heaven, we must be born again and place our faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone here today has done that. That has came to faith in Jesus, that has turned from their sins, and called upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today, we're going to continue in John. We're going to continue to walk through the Gospels chronologically, and we're going to be in John chapter 3, verse 22. Before we get going, I have a question. Ask yourself, what are the steps for a Christian after being born again? Last week, we were talking about being born again. What are the steps? What comes next as a a believer? Think about that. Maybe even a bigger question for some of you should be, what should be the heart or the goal of a believer once you are a follower of Jesus? Once Jesus is your Lord, what should be your heart or your goal in life? This book of John is amazing. It's walking us step by step through all these questions. He started with, first, remember, in John 1, all the way through chapter 1, he explained who Jesus is. Then, Last week and the week before, he explained what Jesus thought of sin. Flipping tables over, right? Then last week, he showed us how to be saved. Then this week, we're going to continue in John chapter 3, verse 22. Let's read it. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. John, the apostle... We can get confusing here because we're talking about John the Baptist, John the Apostle. John the Apostle, the author of this text that we're reading today, introduces the, the story or the passage explaining what Jesus has now done after he's left the Passover. Jesus, he shared or he started evangelizing as he left. And now he's gone with his followers and he's discipling them. Jesus begins with this begins with what I see as a pattern throughout the Gospels of Jesus. He ministers to the multitudes. We read this all through the gospel. But then, just like he did at Passover, a bunch of people, right? Performing miracles, miraculous signs. I'm sure he was teaching. But then he goes to the countryside. And he spends time with the disciples. And he also spends time with God. It doesn't say that here, but throughout the gospels, that's what we see, a pattern of Jesus. He preaches to the multitude, signs and wonders. But he also then, he goes in and he disciples these men. He talks to them about the teaching. He spends time in prayer. He spends time with the Father. It's a pattern, I see. And I think it's a pattern a lot of us can follow. We, as much of us here, are going out. We're doing a lot of different evangelizing. We're going out. We're teaching a lot. There's also time where we need to go and spend time with Jesus and spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer. And Jesus, Jesus models that. And he also models that close-knit group that he takes inside of that, where he disciples them also. So it's a pattern. It's just starting right here, right? We're just beginning. That pattern's starting to form. And so I want you to see that. So we read that these new believers, they're baptized. With the same message that John the Baptist had been preaching. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, we should note, and it appears when you read this, but we should note that we believe it's the disciples that were baptizing these new believers. It wasn't Jesus. If you go to John four two, you can see that. If you look at John four 2, I'll just... Jesus knew the Pharisees. It goes through Jesus himself did not baptize them. His disciples did. That's in John 4.2. And it's reflecting back to the story that we're reading today. So when you read today's text, it kind of appears that maybe Jesus was doing the baptism. But when you go to John 4.2, he goes back and talks about that. But anyways, just so you know. So we can place ourselves in this story. I always ask you guys to do that. Imagine yourself in this story. Jesus and the disciples, they're sharing the gospel. People are getting baptized. Amazing. It would have been amazing. Let's see what's going to happen next in verse 23 through 24. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. Verse 24. This was before John was thrown into prison. So John the Baptist was very, very busy going about what God had called him to do, sharing with the people preparing the people to come faith, pointing them to Jesus, baptizing them. John, this is interesting because Jesus is there now. Think about that. So John has remained faithful to this calling even now knowing that Jesus the Messiah had been revealed. The situation had changed. It had changed. But again, God's calling on John the Baptist's life had not changed. John remained obedient to preach, repent of your sins, Turn to Jesus and baptize people. I think it's a lesson for all of us. The world is changing all around us. We've seen massive change in our world the last few years. And even this year. The cost of serving Jesus is increasing. I mean, in all aspects of our lives. But the calling remains the same for each of us. It hasn't changed. It's the same calling. The same message. The same Jesus. Go out into the world and preach the good news to everyone. What was the first part of that verse? It said, "Go out into." It's an action. We got to go out. We got to preach the good news. John the Baptist was still preaching. So before we read these next passages, I want to mention something that I, I saw in this. You can just kind of a side note, but we see that many people concerning water baptism, they're always like, "Oh, I want to get baptized by this person, or by the pastor, or by this elder, or I want to go to this." church or I want to go to this certain place. And I'll admit, I want to go to Israel and get baptized someday. So I'm not going to, I'm not outside of this statement because I think that would be really cool. But what was special about this place that these people were being baptized? Nothing. Nothing was special. You know, what was special. There was enough water there to probably fully immerse the people being baptized. It had water. That was what was special about it. So I'm not saying it's wrong to want to be baptized somewhere, but I also think that people put too much clout on being baptized in a certain place or a certain, you know, method. I I do believe in full immersion. But, you know, what was special is it was a river that had water in it and people gathered there and they were baptized there. So I don't know. I just, I think it's important. I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, I'm not sure. But who were these people that were coming? Who were these people coming to Jesus? Who were these people coming to John the Baptist? Why? Why were these people coming? What did these people believe? I'm You know, for sure, these people were seeking truth in some way. And so, you know, I think about people that come through this door. You know, I don't always know why or their background or I'm not always sure, you know. Maybe, you know, in this case, maybe they had seen or heard of the miracles that Jesus was performing. Maybe they followed him. You know, it was, I'm sure a lot of people were leaving Passover. There's groups of people following. It wasn't just Jesus and his disciples traveling. But one thing is, when people do come through our doors, I just spoke about Christmas Eve coming up. This is an important time for the church, for the local church. We need to point them to Jesus. Just as John did here. And I, you know, I think the refuge fellowship's a great church. But, we need to point them to Jesus, not to a church. And, you know, there's a lot of churches out there. There's a lot of good churches out there. And, you know, they're all a little different. They have different things. We all have our faults. But we need to, that's not, needs to be, oh, you need to go to this or this. We need to point them to Jesus and make sure they understand the gospel. And that's what John shows us, a wonderful picture that we're going to get into. And so we have a Christmas Eve service. I'd love them to contain refuge, of course. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to you know, say that's different. But that's not what's important. What's important is that they do know Jesus, and they know the gospel message. So as this time of Christmas comes up, let's be our focus. When we're out there evangelizing at the mode or that, you know, if they live 40 minutes away, give them the number of the church that's by them. There's other churches that are good churches. Don't be like, oh, you know, and I, I'm not saying any of you guys would do this. Let's make sure the focus is on Jesus, so not, you know, a church, a local church. So I don't know, I just, I was convicted of that, um, as this church is growing. I think it's a healthy, it's a wonderful church. But also I need to, you know, this message's got a lot tied into this, that it's about Jesus. Let's continue. John was being obedient, he was following his calling, but something else is happening. Look at verse 25 and 26. Find 25. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man that you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one that you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. I just mentioned that, didn't I? I love the Bible. I love the Holy Spirit. We need this same lesson 2,000 years later. Human sinful nature was at work here just as it is causing division today. So let's look, just a quick kind of closer look at what these people were discussing, what they were arguing about, this cleansing, ceremonial washing. It would seem this conversation between the followers of John, his disciples, and some other Jewish men. And I was reading about this because it gets really deep when you get into this and look back to the Old Testament about these ceremony washing. So I went back to my archaeological study Bible and I want to read what it said. It said, Purification through immersion in a ritual bath was required for all Jews in order to preserve that state of purity without which they could neither enter the temple nor participate in its services during major festivals. Um, Another one. A number of Jewish ritual bath or mistic if I say it correctly have been excavated in Jerusalem, Jericho, and elsewhere by Jewish law. These had been at least hold sixty gallons of water and be deep enough to completely immerse the body so these were around long before long before uh, this immersion in the water we refer to it as baptism um it, re, it represented a powerful and uh commonly religious symbol in Jewish religion and culture. This ceremony was done uh, symbolizing purification, uh, also back then even removal of sin. And it was also used as a rite or a ordination as a person that maybe would come to conversion. So we see that water baptism, it was different, but um, was known and observed before John the Baptist. And the religious importance that it held in Jewish culture and religion was very is big is really big. So just as today we talk about water baptism, don't we? It would have been a topic of contention. How do you get water baptized? What was John the Baptist doing? Was he doing it right? He wasn't doing it in the ritual baths. He wasn't. He was doing it in the river. Um, how should it be done? What's the correct way to water baptize? Who who has the authority to water baptize? 2,000 years, we are still focused on the act itself of water baptism instead of the form of worship and the praising of that person that has come to know Jesus. 2,000 years later, we're still arguing about how a person should be baptized and where, how, sprinkling, immersion, um, who? I mean, lots of people like, who? Who can perform a baptism? How should you say it? you know, looking at these verses, these men were, they were arguing, they're arguing between themselves. Then they, they noticed Jesus, Jesus and his, and his disciples. They were also baptizing and the people then were going to him instead. So a little point, think about this. If John the Baptist was there. They were arguing about how this should be done or not be done. Then the people as this conversation this internal strife was going on among john's disciples what did the people do they started going over to jesus and getting baptized by jesus and the disciples this conversation has changed now from how to baptize people now the people are leaving john the baptist and going over to jesus and the disciples getting baptized so now they're looking towards that so john the baptist has something to say his disciples and these other Jewish men who are arguing. Let's look at verse 27. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. John rebukes them and is going to explain how this should work, starting with who he is, who we should be, who we are, and who Jesus is. I want to share a quote from a commentary I read concerning this. We Christians must always remember the primary focus of our ministry. To exalt Christ and point people to Him. Healthy relationships with other Christians will include our recognition of certain leaders, pastors, and teachers. But we must always remember that they too have the same commission. We should not allow ourselves to become prideful of the particular church, group, or leader in which we are associated. And we must do our utmost to resist any kind of competitive spirit. All of us are under the sovereignty of God. Envious and bitter comparisons make us ineffective. Our task is to follow Christ and see that He is exalted. I read that. I just had to share it with you. Because this is what John the Baptist is sharing with us. And this is what was taking place 2,000 years ago and it's still happening today even in Chiang Mai. Everything that we receive in this life, every gift that we have is from God. And He is is the one that is in control of how these gifts are given and how we should be using them. So we must treat these blessings as gifts and means to point others to the hope of Jesus. Let's continue. Look at verse 29-30. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. A true servant's heart. The disciples, these people didn't belong to John the Baptist or anyone else. They belong to Jesus. John knew, John the Baptist knew his place. He knew who he was. He knew his calling that God had placed on his life. A commentary, Warren Worsby said, John used this beautiful illustration. He compared Jesus to the bridegroom and himself to the best man. Once the bridegroom and the bride have been brought together, the work of the best man was complete. We can each know who we are. And who we are not. We all have a place. We all have giftings. We all have anointings. We have a privileged position as messengers of God to bring the message. Just as John the Baptist. Each one of us are the best man. Turning the focus or drawing the loss to the bridegroom, which is Jesus. Preparing and taking care to ensure that the focus always does remain on Jesus and not the servant, which is all of us. What a privilege. What a privilege to be a part of that work that Jesus is doing. John knew that. We need to know that. As we lift Jesus' name up, we will become less and less, and he will become more and more. I want to read Amplified Bible, uh, this verse 30. I really like Amplified Bible. I don't think it's on the screen. It might be, but I want to read this because I really liked this verse read in this version. It says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must grow more prominent, I must grow less so. I like that in the Amplified Version. It seems to be a process, doesn't it? I don't think it's something you can just switch on and off. It's a process. For true shepherds, to have a true shepherd's heart, the focus needs to be placed on Jesus And we see we grow. He must grow and we must grow less. So growing, it's a process. You know, I want to hear testimonies from all of you. I want to hear testimonies from all over Chiang Mai, what Jesus is doing in Chiang Mai. I mean, you know, I want to hear how the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking to the lost. Not what you guys are doing. I'm sorry. I don't want to hear what refuge is doing. I want to hear what Jesus is doing, and what the Holy Spirit is doing, that is what is going to make a difference between my, because we're not capable. We're not. And so I want to hear that. And I, You know, it's hard for me, because I'm another pastor of the church, and I'm like, I want to, you know. But the truth is, we want to hear what Jesus is doing. Can we pray for this? This week, this season, this Christmas season, that testimonies would be shared, what Jesus has done, not what we have done. That's what we need to pray for. Look at verse 31. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of this earth and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. A not so subtle reminder of who Jesus is and again, who we are. We seem to think, well, I'll speak for myself. I think a little highly of myself at times. I struggle with pride. But here, Jesus is from heaven and each of us are from the earth. Jesus is God? Guess what? We're not. I mean, so often I complain of all these earthly things and these problems and my situations and all these things taking place. And I need to be reminded, God is bigger. He's greater than anything else going on around me. Anything bothering me. It's so much bigger than the heaven. He's in control of all these earthly things. John, see, he's going to continue to continue that. He's going to continue to define Jesus in verse 32 through 33. Let's look. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. The truth is given to us through Jesus. We have received the good news, but unfortunately so many people don't believe God's word. Jesus, the message of Jesus is from God firsthand. That's amazing when you think about that. Jesus shares with each of us what he received from the Father. I mean, you say that, but you think about that. It's amazing. I just, knowing that God would love each and every one of us so much, giving his son to come here to seek out a personal relationship with each one of us directly from the Father. It's amazing. Jesus speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, through the spirit. So we know that he's faithful and true. Let's look at the last three verses for today. 34 through 36. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the spirit without limit. I want to stop right there just for one second. Because I first read that verse. Man, that could be misquoted. He's talking about Jesus. So be clear that verse is talking about Jesus. Continue. The f- 35. The Father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And every one and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. The power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Jesus is without limit that verse tells us this is my lord this is the one i serve the one that's without limits my lord jesus christ also has been given a great responsibility i see there think about that as we turn i want to turn to hebrews hebrews 1 2 through 4 and now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son god promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the sun, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When has cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Again, just describing who Jesus is, the one that we serve. I love it. Turn back to John. Look at verse 36. We see the gift after all of this. We see who Jesus is. We see the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. But then, how did John close this story here? He reminded us something, that we need to remain faithful and continue to point people to the lost because there's a judgment also listed there. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. You know, as we're talking how great and amazing Jesus is and how much he loves us, we also know that there's people here that don't know Jesus. And if we're going to go out there, we need to go of the Holy Spirit. We need to go out and evangelize. We need to disciple others so they can evangelize, so they can come to a really strong relationship, so they're not, you know, tossed to and fro. He must become greater. How do we do that? I mean, we've heard this verse. I mean, it's kind of one of the, you probably see it on a coffee cup a lot, right? you must become greater. What does that look like in your own life? I believe it is a process. I do believe it is a process. I think there's areas in our lives, each of us, that we need to address it in in specific areas. And I think that it's the Holy Spirit that will reveal these areas to us and also it would be the Holy Spirit who would help we become less and Him become greater. For me, it's a daily process. I need to repent of so many things daily because I know that it, If I am decreasing and God is increasing, then my pride, my frustrations, my ambitions, my plans, my finances, all these different things that I can keep going, the things that I struggle with, they also will become insignificant as he increases. All the worries that I carry around, that's me. I worry about a lot of things. I have a lot of responsibilities. These things will become less and less, and God will become more and more, and he'll continue to take care of this. And I, I struggle with it, I do. But I know as I read, that's why we're in fellowship, that's why we're in church, and that's why we study God's Word. Because we can see scriptures like this, and we can pray about it, and we can remember who we are, who we're not. That God is greater, and we need to become lesser. And we can walk through that. I want to look at another verse as we get ready to close, and then I have a tangent to go on. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians first. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each one of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes his seeds grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded from their own hard work, for we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. I think we need to be reminded of that. I do. Not about you guys, I have a tangent I want to share. I prayed about this a lot. We had a festival last night, last few nights, and I know a lot of people went to that festival. I'm not saying that's wrong by any means. What I'm saying. When you see what they're doing there, I think most people understand what the festival represents. I'm not going to get into the whole thing of what it represents and what they're doing. I think most people know um, what these lanterns represent and what they're hoping in the pagan worship. I am so grieved by the Christians in Chiang Mai because so many of them, When they do go out, if they want to go out and evangelize and pray and pass out tracts and share the truth of Jesus, amen. But so many people don't even recognize that these people are lost. So many people, as we just talked about here in the end of that John, are going to face an eternity in hell. And yet they go out, oh, how beautiful that lantern is. That ain't beautiful. That should grieve your heart. If you're sitting in this room, if you have been born again and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to go out to these people. And you have a responsibility to go share the hope of Jesus Christ. It's not in a lantern. All them lanterns, Vicki was driving back, she told me all the trash everywhere in the city. Right? From all them lanterns that fell back down to the sky and they're all over the roads and the rivers. I don't really care about the trash. The fact is, is what it represents. They fell back down. Their sins weren't, they're still there. I pray that the Christians in Chiang Mai and anyone out there would pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to them that these people are lost. They're worshiping a false god. And that we have an opportunity to go share in using that hope of who Jesus is. And it would grieve them. It would bring them to their knees in prayer. Because I know a lot of people, they just, oh, that's so beautiful. It's not beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about it. Yeah, the lanterns are colorful. But the people, you realize what's going on there. It's, it's sad. It's really, really sad. And it doesn't have to be this way. But a lot of them don't know. So I pray that the church here in Chiang Mai would take advantage of these situations and these festivals and learn how to go out and evangelize these people during this time. I didn't go out this time. I, I wasn't, my heart wasn't in the right place for it. But, Let's prepare to go out and share the hope of Jesus in these times. You know, in Myanmar we had the water festival, it was really big. I know they do that here also. But you know, they think, you know, by like dumping the water on it and Myanmar is that ditch water, it was nasty you <laughs> know, They dump that water all over them. you know, thinking they were cleansed now for their sins, for their bad karma, it was cleansed. You know, I'd share with them. No. But Jesus can save you from your sins. The blood of Jesus can do for what you're imagining here. So I just want to really ask that you as the church, and I don't mean refuge, but you as the church, would really pray that we can reach out to these people in these festivals. And what we would, I mean, maybe not everyone's going to go out and evangelize. That's okay. But you can pray. You can pray. You can talk to your neighbor. That you would see it through God's eyes. That the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you, what that really is taking place there. And that we would have a heart and a passion to go out there and fulfill that great commission. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we study Your Word, I just pray that we'd hear from Your Holy Spirit. I don't want to hear from a man. I don't want people hearing from me. I'm a babbling idiot. Uh, Lord, i just that donkey. Lord, I want them to hear from You and Your Word. I want the, the people, as they come here and they study the Word, Lord, I want them to understand who you are, that you must become greater in their lives, that you, through you, Lord, through your greatness and your power and your unlimited feeling of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you can conquer all things, Lord. That none of these things that we face are too big. And Lord, as we look out throughout our neighborhoods in this city, in Asia, Lord, I pray that we would be grieved as you were grieved for the lost. That when we see them performing these acts of worship to pagan gods, Lord, that we would pray. We'd pray and we would speak truth to this city and this area. The hope. that There is hope. There's a solution to their sin. There's an answer. And it's been paid for by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they can have eternal life through faith in Jesus. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this community, these Christians, Lord, that they would be convicted of this. That they would come alongside the Christian community, Lord, and set up prayer booths. That they would set up worship time during this time. That they, Lord, You would pave a way for new and exciting ways to reach these people because they're not reached. We're in the land of missionaries that don't evangelize, that don't disciple. And one of the most unreached countries in the world. So, Lord, I pray for a revival in Chiang Mai and I pray for the means and the methods to be changed and to be done through your spirit. So people would say, look what Jesus is doing in this city. People are coming to know Jesus. They're coming to know that they are saved. They're coming to faith. And then I want to see baptisms, Lord. This is, I want to see water baptisms. I want people professing their faith in Jesus, Lord. And then going out and sharing that hope they found in Jesus. Lord, I pray this over this city, Lord, and I just pray that you'd use each and every one of us, Lord, in different ways. We have different skills, different giftings, different blessings. Lord, use us in whatever them these are. Use us, Lord, not into all the church of Chiang Mai. Show us, Lord, We something. Show us how we can just reach these people, Lord, through you. And, Lord, everyone would say, God is moving in this city. So, Lord, I just pray this over this city, Lord. I pray this over this fellowship, this church also, Lord. Maybe this would be the seed that would be planted. Maybe this would be the start. Maybe not, Lord. But I pray wherever that is, Lord, that you would do a great work here, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to worship. Thank you for this building. And, Lord, I just thank you for the faithfulness of everyone here today, Lord. Please bless them, Lord. And again, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, speak to each one of them, Lord. So they would be faithful as John the Baptist was, Lord, to go out and just continue, continue, continue to be faithful to share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.